0: This is a town of Public Health chats, and today we have Mandy Kudza, who's going to uh, share with us her journey and her story in public health. So, thank you for being here, Mandy. We're gonna get started. If you could maybe introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself and kind of you know what why you think you're here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. It's always really nice to talk about basically what my life is about. So my name is Mandi Tembo. I am a PhD research fellow. I'm in the last year of my PhD, started in 2018. I am pursuing a PhD in menstrual health. So looking at the acceptability and feasibility of menstrual health uh, interventions within Zimbabwe amongst young women. And I am doing that with the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine. Um and working with a group here in Harare, Zimbabwe, under the Biomedical Research and Training Institute. And I'm from Zimbabwe. Thank you, that's amazing. When you say young women, I'm just curious, uh, like how, what's your age, what's the age range for these young women that you're looking at? So specifically for this project, we're looking at young women aged 16 to 24 in and out of school. Okay. Wow, that's amazing. That's a very crucial point in the life course. <laughs>
1: Yeah, um, definitely.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, but that's amazing. Excited to have you here and excited to like learn from you. Um and thank you for like just being open to share about your experiences today. So we've already talked about what you do and where you're based. Maybe we can talk a little bit about like I guess leading up to you starting your PhD journey. You said in 2018. I guess how long mm-hmm. had you been working in public health and kind of like how, I guess how did you end up, you know, deciding This is what I want to do. This is the current step in my career. Sure. Um, So I'll take it like way back and like start in in high school. Um, I don't know if you did this, but at our high school, we had these psychometric tests that we did to figure out what kind of job is for you. And um, overwhelmingly, like my results were working with communities, working in health, and then obviously I, I've always been really good at sciences, so really good at bio and chemistry. So for me, I thought I was going to be a doctor and really wanted to pursue that full on. And so went to America after high school with the intention of pursuing, uh, doing an undergraduate degree, which is more liberal arts based, so I could just explore, but then going into medical school. And during my time in America, my C, my junior year, I did an internship where we were running a soccer program in Kailiksha, South Africa. So this is a township in South Africa, and working with young kids, so like eight to eighteen on a soccer program and basically like using soccer as a way to attract young people and then talking to them about their health and their well-being. And loved it so, so much that I was like, actually I don't want to be a doctor. I want a job where I can work in communities. So I'm not in a doctor's office, but I'm engaging with people regularly and being able to do that full time. Um, And that's when I decided to go into public health. So my undergraduate degree was actually in public health, which is really, really lucky, because I think at that time, public health as an undergraduate degree was, was very new. And so after doing that, I moved back to Zimbabwe. I worked for a year for an organization that was heavily based in HIV research work in Zimbabwe and I got to you know really get um explore Zimbabwe the rural um parts of it high density areas but from a health perspective so working in clinics and looking at HIV outcomes and really enjoyed it but at that point felt like I was not I did not have the skill set that I wanted I was like I I need to go back to school Mm -hmm. so I went back to school and did a master's in global health and development and at the end of that interned for a project where they were running STI testing service provision within, again, in Kailita, South Africa. I don't know, I love Cape Town.
1: I love Mm -hmm. South Africa
0: almost, almost as much as Zimbabwe. And I really, really enjoyed that work. So I did that for six months after, while I was writing my master's thesis and after that. And then I came back to Zim and was introduced to the research group that I work with now. And they were starting a project called Chiedza, which was looking at health provision of health services to young people aged 16 to 24 and looking at HIV outcomes and other health outcomes. And because I'd done something super similar in South Africa, I really wanted to be a part of the project. And the principal investigator invited me to a meeting and we had a discussion afterwards. And she was like, "You know, do you wanna be a part of this? I was like, yes, I would love to be a research assistant for this project. And she was like, no, I was thinking more of PhD wow uh uh, yeah and I was like oh no like I don't know about all that um and she was she just said that you know you're never gonna feel like you're ready for a PhD Mm -hmm. but given your experience and given what you've done this is a logical next step if any if anything takes some time to think about it you know, mm-hmm. read about, or read about it uh, and then come back to me. And so I sort of wrote up a proposal based on the meetings we had had about this Chesa project. And, and I wanted to focus more on the menstrual health component of the, of the intervention. And that's really where my PhD journey began because that proposal was accepted. And then it was just a matter of, you know, finding funding, but it all started essentially with a conversation <laughs> and, uh, You know, not being afraid to give my opinion in a meeting full of people, you know, I've looked up to for many, many years and read many of their papers and just saying, I've actually done this work before on the ground. And so here's my experience from having conducted similar work and me voicing my opinion being enough for them to say there's potential for you to pursue, you know, a higher uh, academic degree. And add to the knowledge based on what you've done before wow that's amazing shout out to the advisor was like actually you're capable so much more (laughs) yes yeah that is so amazing that's a great story so you hadn't really thinking about your career it sounds like you had at least for where you are now you hadn't really seen yourself doing a phd you kind of had done the bachelor's in public health and the master's and we're kind of like working day to day right yeah, I mean, I, I definitely saw a PhD in my future, but I think I, I didn't imagine that it would be so immediate. That uh-huh. like I thought that I would need a couple years of working experience before attempting to pursue a PhD. Oh, okay. And I think that it's because the only people I knew of PhDs were much older than me. So to imagine that you could be in your, you know, mid-20s or early 20s and pursue a PhD was something that was quite foreign but it was something that I wanted in my future I just didn't think it would be now. right then yeah um, that makes sense yeah well, that's actually really true that when when you think of or at least all the people I know with PhDs are not young <laughs> at least mm. not, mm. not mm. younger than 40 at least that's what I what I envision when I think of young and old but yeah you're yeah. right it speaks to I guess also which is kind of my next comment slash question was around you mentioned like I guess I'm thinking through your story and like different decision points and like you mentioned who was there to inform your decision points or what was happening in those places to inform your decision points so you mentioned even at the very very beginning you mentioned having these psychometric tests i would be curious if you if you have like access to like the link so that like we never had this in my high school so you just kind mm. of as it was was I you like kind of similar to what you said, like I ended up just doing the sciences. Like so it's just like, did you get A's in science? You're gonna do sciences. Oh. Did you get were you good right. in humanities, you go do the arts for A level? And then you're kind of like you said, like once you're good in bio and chemistry, the kind of expectation and uh, kind of like, you're going to be a doctor or a pharmacist. And, and I kind of just went with the flow as well. So I resonated with that. But I found it really interesting how you mentioned the psychometric evaluation. And I was wondering if like that resource, or if that's a resource that could be like accessible online that, you know, we could even plug at the end of the podcast or share on Instagram and Twitter so that people can, you know, if anything, just to kind of like think through uh, what skill set they have and what things they enjoy. Because I never, personally, I never like, yeah, there was not that much guidance in the high schools that I went Mm. or with the people around me at the high school level. And that's kind of like the backstory of why I wanted to start this podcast as well is like, you know, what, like, who's informing the career options for teenagers and people in high school. And kind of like, even not even informing them, but at least just exposing young people to the option so that they know like public health. I didn't know what public health was until Mm -hmm. I I was in my twenties. Didn't even know you could pursue it as a career option. I remember even in undergrad going to my advisors and I was doing studying biology and trying. And really what I was describing was public health. And like you're saying, like it sounds like your undergrad institution had public health as like Mm -hmm. a degree option. We didn't have it. So describing all of that. And they would look at you with blank faces and they're like, you sound like maybe you're talking about bias statistics. Like there wasn't really that much. <laughs> and then I was given an option of doing it as an independent major. So like basically mm-hmm. in your own degree. And I was like, that is just too much of So I was lazy and I just ended up doing the bio, but it's really interesting when you're talking about of like, I guess knowing the menu of options, having those menu of options like presented to you and then having some kind of guidance and mentors and advisors, and also what I really enjoyed listening um, to your story so far was the part where you mentioned having the experience in South Africa and getting to really, or even in Zim, when you talked about the STIA work, just actually being on the ground and realizing, oh, I enjoy this. Like, this is what's bringing yeah. me joy. And this is something I'm passionate about. So yeah. very cool, like, lessons. So it sounds like you've been at this. When, when did you do your internship in the first time in South Africa? How many years ago was that? Oh, wow. That was a while ago. So I think that was 2013, 2016. Wow. Because it was right at the end of my right at the end of Oh, so wait, so the first one was in my junior year of undergrad. So that was like 2013. And then I did a second one in 2016 when I was doing my master's thesis after you finished your Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So in the past like eight years or so, so that's, you've kind of like, yeah, like, yeah. Had different experiences in the past decade or so that have increasingly informed your interest. And so it sounds also like you mentioned working in South Africa and then in Zim. And it sounds as well, I noticed that you came back home after your bachelor's and you came back mm-hmm. to Zim after your master's. So did you also already, was that a pre decision on your end? Like, did your experience in SA maybe inform that? you knew you wanted to work back in africa or work with young girls or like did that also just kind of happen no that was very intentional i think even when before i left to do my my undergrad i knew that i was going to come back home afterwards it was never something that i needed to explore or discuss like i just knew that i wanted to work in in zil and with with my like essentially my people right there's something about being able to relate to the people that you're working with and working for um, that I would just not be able to get if I was working in America or working in, in the UK full-time and, and had a taste of that even in South Africa because there was some familiarity. I was there with a bunch of colleagues from America, but mm-hmm. I related so much more to the community that we're working with. Like I you know, was so intentional about learning some Kosa while I was there and just feeling like, oh, I, I can relate. We're not living the same lives, but I know your culture. I right, know right. your history. And that really enriching my the experience just for me. And in, and also enriching the sort of relationships that I formed with the communities I was working with. Oh, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. Like, Especially if you're working at the community level, I think part of it is context and, and the ability to kind of like understand the populations you're working with or you're working on. And you're mm-hmm. right that when you, when you do have that kind of connection, I think it does add a specific like value. It's so funny. Like for example, I'm working on a, <laughs> one of the studies I'm working on is actually in Zim and we it's, it's supposed to be once we do it, it's going, it's going to be in high school. And I was laughing mm-hmm. with my boss yesterday because when we were talking about like, so we're trying to operationalize the testing procedure and we're like, so how would it happen? Who would be doing it here? And in my head without, realizing I was just picturing my old high school I was like no they, they'll probably mm. have a each school each boarding school is supposed to have a, a clinic and then they would probably have a nurse positioned at the clinic but I was merely just speaking from my experience and then when I was like oh but I don't know if that's like what old boarding schools look like my boss was like no that's actually right nice valuable insight and it's a, it's a starting point in how we're mapping and operationalizing this research so you're right that like being in connection with the with the communities that you're working it does add a, a more fulfilling layer and also probably makes you know for better researchers and better practitioners yeah. so something to think yeah. about I guess yeah and then before we move into the next section of like what what public health is or means to you? I just wanted to ask uh, something that I've been thinking about and wondering about recently is like, how do you, how do you describe yourself? Like, you know how, like, for example, people who went to school to become teachers, you know, had training and teaching, and then they're teachers. Like when people say, like, hi, my name is Fiona, and I'm, I don't know, a podcaster, like, what do you say mm. to? You? <laughs> yeah yeah that's an interesting one because i always i i almost feel like sometimes i it it changes depending on who my audience is Mm -hmm. but if i have to sort of think about it holistically i definitely describe myself as a menstrual health enthusiast uh because it goes beyond research in menstrual health like i'm just generally very much invested in period positive dialogue and really uh, empowering, like this whole concept of body autonomy and reframing how people consider menstrual health. But then I also would describe myself as a public health specialist, right? I've been in this work for over eight years and really been honing my skills and sort of research methods and so on. So I think an all encompassing term would be a menstrual health enthusiast and public health specialist. Amazing. <laughs> That's really cool. Yeah. Okay, so for you, it's like the specific area within public health that you kind of like you are excited about and then also yeah. part of the work that you're doing which is like the research that's pretty cool okay because yeah. like for yeah. me I always struggle especially when I have to like I think with people within the field or at least people who are somewhat aware of like what public health is or like I have a lot of mm-hmm. friends from medical doctors I can somehow sometimes you know say okay I work in public health or I do this but then I whenever I have a non-health audience I'm like what do I do (laughs) yeah yeah because there's if there's a you know because there are a lot of hats that you wear within your role right and so I think if you're talking to someone who's not in in the in the sector they might be like okay what does that mean like what do you actually do yeah. Yes. Yeah, so I'm like, oh, I'm a public health worker or I'm a public health researcher, depending <laughs> on which day. And sometimes I write a lot. <laughs> like, yeah. 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 Exactly. There's just so much to do. It's so flexible, but that's actually part of why I love working in public health. Um, that there's Same. Like, there's never like, you know, we're never just doing one thing um, and we're mm-hmm. And that's pretty great. Okay. So the next batch of questions are more so like you you've shared with us how you came to the career and what you've done in the career so far. And like, like you said, you've been doing this for over eight years now. So I guess what in the, kind of like going with the, like, what do you call yourself? I guess, what does public health mean to you? And how do you define public health for yourself? Yeah, that's a really good question. So um, like you, I think I didn't know that public health was a, uh, uh, an area that you could be a professional in. I didn't even know that it existed until um, I was in uni and saw, and saw it in action. Um, and I really believe that it's a collective effort through science, through art, through activism to prevent disease, prolong life, and promote health and well being. And I remember reading about public health and this analogy about the upstream downstream analogy and I, i'll paraphrase because it's quite like a long analogy but basically two people were fishing and they saw a woman struggling in the water and they got in there and they rescued her and then soon after that another person was in the water struggling and soon after that another person and they were like whoa like what is happening like why are so many people suddenly drowning in front of us and they went upstream to like find out what had happened and they, they discovered that at the top of the at the uh, upstream area, I guess, there was, like, this cliff, like, this overhanging. And from the overhanging, it was, like, this beautiful view. So people were just, like, mesmerized by this view, couldn't see that you were going to, like, drop off the edge of a cliff and into the river and were just falling over. Um, and they were like, why don't you just put some warning signs or, like, a barrier so that people don't fall into the water? And then after that, let's go and do some, like, work with them and be like, make sure you look out for signs and maybe learn how to swim in case all of this happens. So this sort of idea of like dealing with the problem before it becomes a problem and even going further to be like going into places and finding out why the problem exists in the first place. And I just thought that was really, really cool. Like, why are we waiting for people to get sick or be in dangerous situations when we can avoid it altogether? And I really wanted to be a part of that. Uh, avoiding problems, or at at the core of it, being people-centered, like really engaging with communities and figuring out how to prevent things from happening together with the people that you are trying to help. Um, And that's, for me, what public health is about. And I think it's it's really cool because... There's not one way to solve a problem. There's not one way to address an issue. It's very much about the people that you're trying to serve. And it can take many different forms and it can all work together in harmony. And I and I really enjoy that aspect of the work that we do. Yeah, that's amazing. No, yeah, you're right. Uh, it's so interesting. Your Yeah, your analogy is very detailed. But it's, I, I've heard a different, I guess, ver- but it's the same thing. The idea of like, I think in the first analogy where I heard this was very similar is there's an upstream there's a downstream and it's a little bit more jarring than yours (laughs) because in my (laughs) analogy i was first taught it's a baby that's drowning and then people jump in to save the drowning baby and 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 then like you're saying in that instance like the people saving either whether it's the woman or the baby as it's happening are kind of like our first line our first responders right the nurses the doctors Mm -hmm. and whereas public health is like you're saying it's 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 more you sounded like you mentioned like holistic and more upstream and mm. preventative in nature and yeah like going back just to, to see that there's a cliff oh that that was like i hadn't heard that part of the analogy so that's a great idea, mm. idea as well talking about like health communication that's all a whole new branch of like you know, health communication and promotion and being able to not only identify the risks and communicate them to to the people um, in a way that they can understand in a way that is affirming and not like, you know, condescending or belittling of people and all those things. So you're right that it's so holistic and it's more than just this one event of the, you know, the mom or the baby drowning, but that like there's Mm. more to it, like it's layered almost yeah very that's, much. So. that's definitely yeah, I agree that's definitely how I view public health as well is that the work we're doing even if it might seem like it's at the like one you know one individual one population or one community has the ability to be amplified and then be used in multiple settings and multiple communities and that's kind of like the fun part of public health for me <laughs> even though sometimes yeah, yeah. <laughs> I feel like it it might take a while to get to see that like it's it's also a long yes not in the way it functions absolutely my next question was going to ask you about like but I think you've already started talking about this because you've mentioned that you like working in, with communities and you like working with people but I wanted to hear a little bit more about like what are your favorite things about working in public health or like what about working in public health really excites you or you're like I get to do this in public health and like, it's so cool. And I probably wouldn't Mm -hmm. be able to do it in like other careers. Yeah. Like I said at first, working in and with communities is something that I love. It's always dynamic. It's always new. It's always exciting. You're always learning new things every single day. Uh, I'm very grateful to be able to do work like that. I think I also, I'm quite, I feel humbled that the kind of work that you do in public health is building Knowledge, and knowledge that can be used to change policy and impact lives um, over time. Uh, so that idea that the work that you're doing, whether it's writing a paper or you know you're collecting urine samples to assess, you know, STI prevalences in a community, that your work is going to result in something. It's not just it's not just you. Like you are you are part of a bigger sort of system that's looking to. Make people better, healthier, mentally, physically. I I, I love that sort of purpose, uh, purposeful work for me. Uh, and I think one unique thing about public health, and I I think it's I I don't know if it's just Zimbabwe, but I don't think so because obviously I've worked with partners uh, across the globe. That it is very much a a lot of people who work in public health are mostly women, and I really enjoy that aspect as well. I enjoy working with women who are looking to make a difference in the work that they do, and that they are women in different parts of public health, like lab, tech, policy, all of that. It's just so amazing. Um, And also working with marginalized populations um, and seeing how the power dynamics are shifting around that too. Working with young people and seeing the power, the empowerment initiatives that are happening with that too. And I think I was reflecting on this last week, this whole idea of feminist leadership in action. And when I say feminist leadership, I don't mean like women or feminists in power but this whole idea of leadership being equitable so that it's not just like this pyramid scheme within office structures but you literally see the the power dynamic shifting and Mm. power being given and voice being given to people that usually haven't had an opportunity to lead or to speak or to inform and influence and seeing that every day in the office or being part of a body of work that's trying to push that forward is something that I I really really enjoy and something that keeps pushing me and I think I, I speak for a lot of people I work with my colleagues to continue to you know work hard because it is hard work but seeing how it's amplifying the narratives and experiences of people that people weren't paying attention to before is really important. Wow that's so amazing I feel like we can just end here. <laughs> let's just call it a day. <laughs> let's just end on a high note. Let's talk about purpose <laughs> and <laughs> equitable leadership. And I think, you know, I'm sold personally. I'm sold, but I'm biased. <laughs> no, but this, I'm like, yes, yeah, of course I'm sold. But you're absolutely right that it's it's more than just like, I guess the populations we work with, but also the community that we are working in partnership, like even if it's in the office or in the field and seeing you're right that for me, public health also has this huge activist component. Like a lot of times I find myself as well, like in conversations about feminism and things like that. But for me, my work is my feminism because I think when we're, like you're saying, Mm -hmm. when you're creating bodies of knowledge, when you you are interviewing and hearing the perspectives from groups of people that are traditionally marginalized or people don't necessarily respect or want to listen and hear to, that we are kind of Mm -hmm. like pushing the envelope and kind of like creating space where those values are those voices are like valued and worthy of like being heard um yeah and that's you're right I really like that about public health as well I'm not sure if I also like similar to you was also on the like pre-med track and I think well yeah (laughs) when I had to like decide I think for me it was that like not that if you take a medical career you're not able to kind of like have those aspects but public health I guess being, you know, uh, we've been labeled in our office, it's a whole thing about like Puritans and like people who kind of like stumble. <laughs> <laughs> I'm obviously a Puritan. <laughs> uh, for me, that's kind of like at the core of like, I guess what differentiates clinical practice or other forms of practice to like what we mean by public health. It really is that inter-sectional like, approach and the ability mm. to spill over to other policy like you mentioned the policy aspect or seeing women doing other like we integrate with science a lot it's like the basis and we integrate with all of these other fields to the common goal of like health and well-being so yeah I definitely like I'm vibing with you there (laughs) but just so we stay a little bit balanced let's talk about challenges (laughs) yeah yeah what what I guess we talk about like your favorite things and about working in public health and what drew you to it what motivates you while doing the work let's talk about places of like frustration or places where you go like oh you know like where were you like i wish we could be better i wish we could do things um differently or like places that just like you know like for me i just know when we're trying like we're trying to get a country out of review right now and we know when we're working with government like you have like little to no control <laughs> Like working yeah. with government is so important, but it's also like a thorn <laughs> in my work life. Yeah. Yeah. What are your frustrations either in the current work that you do or just like generally in your public health work and practice? What are the challenges that you sometimes face? Yeah, I think what jumps to the to the top of my list is um, funding. And I speak of that because I know just talking to my colleagues who've been in this industry for much longer, maybe 20, 25 years. They literally talk about how they've never had a contract that's more than a year. The idea that you are constantly having to look for funding to live, to like be stable in your role and in your position and in your job. And that's just something that you have to come to grips with. If you are engaging in public health, especially if you're doing research, research work and that the goal, because of that, the goalpost is always moving because what's sexy in terms of what funders want or donors want to give money to changes all the time and it's very much informed by what's happening around the world and you sort of have to frame what you want to do around what they want to hear and i've always find that really difficult from a perspective of you know staying true to myself but also from a perspective of it's it's really i get a lot of anxiety with that idea that there's a lack of stability almost in the kind of work that we do. And it's constantly chasing after funding and you put a lot of effort into writing grants that you may never get um, and being okay with that. That's part of the job. And I think also the idea, so I, I not a challenge, but I get a realization and something that I would want people who want to see public health mm-hmm. um, to consider is that, you do have to sort of love the work that you do. Like your passion point has to be more than money driven or I don't know, like position because a lot of the work that you do is unpaid and unrecognized. I just, we were having a conversation the other day. I'm in, like I said, I'm in the tail end of my PhD. My PhD has been by publication. So you write papers throughout your journey and I could not stop laughing at my shock. The first time I submitted a paper when they sent me an invoice and i'm like wait i have to pay you mm. to publish my paper and then, then, and then you, get comp- you get comp- emails yeah yeah so now i'm paid and then i get invitations to review other people's paper papers for free i'm like wait i'm like wait what and the publishers <laughs> but you, but- make money <laughs> yeah i was like oh wow this is crazy so a lot around that and and i think that also feeds into my next point just like the inequalities within within research especially if you work in in like sub-saharan africa so we were i work in zimbabwe south africa we have partners in uganda and tanzania and the dynamics around working doing the research here but also having to partner a lot with the north um so a lot of funding comes from the UK or from the US and the work is happening here and the power dynamics are really we have, I only now, I think only more recently are we becoming more intentional about dismantling who gets to have a voice is it the person who has the money or the person who's like actually doing the work on the ground. And how do we balance that out when it comes to publications, like how many voices from researchers in South Africa or Zimbabwe are being heard if they have to pay $11,000 to get their paper published in the Lancet. Yeah. Um, so let's think about that, like who's actually creating knowledge and being able to disseminate it. And if we're not able to equally share knowledge, who's really controlling what we learn and where the money goes for further research? So I think those are some of the challenges that are both on a very practical personal level, like what is my next year of work looking like where am I getting funding from but also on a bigger scale of like you know how do we make sure that the work that we're doing is recognized equally um how do we make sure that our voices are heard and actions are are, are made because of what we have contributed to the research work and that it's a lot of work like it's it's not always fun like it's great working with communities but it is a lot of writing it's a lot of applying for stuff that you took weeks to put together and may never get. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. A lot of thinking too and conceptualization. I think I yes, advice, a yeah. lot of the work we do is not even like it's it's always fun, especially when you're like negotiating once, even once you do get the funding and you're like negotiating the terms of the funding or like who, like how much you're gonna allocate to human resources versus this and that. It's always interesting how like certain things even for roles, right? You will have to envision how many data collectors you're gonna need and what they're gonna do is that nobody mm-hmm. puts aside money for all the time for the thinking. People are like, we don't yes. need operationalizing like <laughs> like how the data is going to collect and all of that is work and is being done mm-hmm. by someone and that someone needs to be compensated for that work. Right. Yeah, no, but yeah, what you say definitely resonates with me as well. And even not like I'm not currently doing a PhD, but even doing research work while Mm -hmm. working for other like global health NGOs is that it's still it's still the same the dynamic doesn't go away because I feel like I ran away initially I used to do like because I studied biology I worked as a research technician in a lab and part of the reason Mm -hmm. when I ran away from all of that and decided I didn't want to do like a PhD in biochemistry or something like that was I was like I just the postdocs in my labs were constantly stressed and and it led mm. to a lot of drama. And I was just like, I don't want this. And I thought that mm. by switching to public health and working in public health institutions or working for public health nonprofits that I would kind of like run away. But the dynamic doesn't, it doesn't go away. Yeah, it's always going to be there the yeah. that to be able to create knowledge, to be able to support, especially looking at like, like you mentioned, marginalized populations, you, there, there's need for funding. And when you need mm-hmm. money, you need people who have the money to be willing mm-hmm. to either allocate if it's a government or just like from philanthropies or, you know, institutes to just give that money. And that's where a lot of the work happens. So yeah, you're right that there's an additional conversation around within the field of public health, like power dynamics, and like you say, within the global north, um, global south, and like making sure that there's equity there which is why I also really loved your earlier comment on how you get to experience which I thought is amazing I don't think I particularly see that in my current role and work but it's really great to hear what you mentioned as like feminist leadership or leadership Mm -hmm. that dismantles power dynamics and is equitable Mm. at every level I think that's a Really great idea. And I feel like that deserves its own episode to kind of. Yeah, I honestly, over this year, I've really um, had moments of reflection where I thought that leadership was something that's innate, but it's honestly something you have to work at the same way you work Mm -hmm. at, you know, learning how to be a qualitative researcher or learning how to swim or going to train in the gym. Like it's a muscle that you have to be intentional about working on and um you learn best when you you're constantly learning but also like this idea that it's not something like individual work that you can just do by yourself there's also an engagement with everybody else that needs to happen and that the greatest leaders that I've worked with on a more immediate level but the greatest leaders that I'm learning from when I read a book or listen to a podcast take time out of their day to learn about how to be a better leader wow and you can see it. You can see the difference between someone who's just like, you know, I know how to delegate and I'm good with people versus mm-hmm. how can I, beyond um, motivate, how can I inspire? And like, how can I shift? And how can I make the people I lead, leaders for other people in other ways? Yeah, and I, I think that's one thing I, I really learned this year. And I, I hope that anyone who's listened to this also learns that. Because in every role that you have, right, there's a form of leadership. Leadership is part of yeah yeah so just also taking that as a part of you that you need to or skill that you need to build on and work and exercise every day as well yeah no you're absolutely right I agree that we had for our annual staff meeting we had like not staff meeting but we had like a retreat and we had a workshop and literally people were up in arms (laughs) when we had our leadership (laughs) session because people (laughs) there was this whole debate on like what makes a leader a leader? And like, yeah, we were trying to define leadership and then our coaches had like, yeah, different type. They had like, I think they had Trump and they had uh, a monarchy person, probably they had William and then they Mm -hmm. had like your, you know, your day-to-day manager from work and then they had Mm -hmm. something else. And then we kind of all agreed that we all thought of all of those people as leaders but then, mm-hmm. when we started <laughs> getting into like you're saying, you mentioned like almost like two definitions. You mentioned the idea of like to lead people is to inspire them to do work, and it's also making them leaders. So like amplifying impact, and them also then the people you're leading also then becoming mm-hmm. leaders. So people, yes. are like, no <laughs> monarchy. People in the monarchy are not leaders, and then some people are like, yes, they are <laughs> leaders and then people are like oh, but your day-to-day worker the person who's cleaning up after people that's also your leader because they and you know they impact people and they form relationships with people so like what so we, we never actually came to agreement but we learned a lot about what it means to yeah be. yeah yeah which is fun but you're right uh, I think leadership is also a key piece in in public health and, and and there are different like layers and levels to it so it's really great that you've been able to like Experience this or reflect on it in your current work. So, I guess also for that for the audience is also something to think about. I think I remember when we hosted the space last year in public health, people had a lot of questions around like, what does it, what does my career path look like? I think especially for people who work in corporate spaces, there's always this like question around like, when will I make the big bucks? When will I get C suite? You know, when will I become the VP of blah? Um, And thinking about what that looks like in public health. And even if it it even looks like it does in other industries. So something to consider. But to wrap up, I think um, as we come to the end, I would love to hear your thoughts and your kind of like word to the wise, I guess, to kind of prompt you maybe... If you are, were to go back to like 18 year old Mundy or like 16 year old version of you, mm. what would you, A, wish you would have known earlier about public health and B, like, let's say you had already decided when you're 16 or like your younger siblings, even like, what would you say to someone who is thinking about a career in public health? or is, has already decided but doesn't know how to navigate, what would be your like top three tips of what to do, how to grow in that field? I think if I would give a, young, a younger version of me some advice, I would definitely say, you know, don't be afraid to pursue your passions. So if you are not sure what you want to do and you just want to have a feel of it, there's nothing wrong with talking to someone who's in that field and having a conversation with them applying for an internship or pro 12 week program to get some experience and insight into the job because either way you're going to learn that you love it and want to do it or that actually I had a completely different idea of what this work was and I don't want to do it at all mm-hmm. I think I would say that once you've found what you want to do and you're working within that fear in an area, don't be afraid to ask questions because you know asking questions means you want to learn it's it's telling people that I know what I don't know and I want to know more because I can clearly see that you know what you're talking about. I would say always say something in a meeting, on a call, say something, like let people know you're in the room and don't be afraid to fail. So something might seem quite daunting, quite tasking, but that experience, if, if anything, is a learning one and there's nobody that you work with or will work for who hasn't failed before it is not a reflection of your ability or capability it's it's literally a human thing that you have to go through and you will fail forward if you consider mm-hmm. it if you look at it that way like i'm learning something and i'm moving forward and then i think what i wish i'd known i think we spoke about this a little bit that it is hard of it is a lot of hard work and mm-hmm. you need to go into it i i just i just don't believe in doing work that you're not passionate about i know not everybody has the option to do work that they have passion for but if you ever have the opportunity to do something because you love it, I would definitely say do that.
1: Um, and then work. if you,
0: yeah, yes. Yeah. You have to want to do it for more than just your paycheck. Like you you need you, it, something more needs to drive you to do the work so that you also do it well because you want to be doing it. Mm. And I think um, if you're starting out and you're looking for where to start Definitely talking to people and engaging with your social networks. I, I don't think I would be where I am if I had, and also attending talks and conferences of your interest. the The work, the STI study that I did in South Africa, literally came out of me going to a talk at my at my university in London. And at the end of the talk, this lady said, because she was she had just finished her PhD and she was talking about how she did it with the Desmond Tutu Foundation in South Africa, and she's like things are wrapping up so if everyone if anyone is looking for an internship opportunity in the summer let me know and Uh I literally went to her I literally went to her and said I have done some work in Kailija before in undergrad I really love I really love the work that I did I really love what you're doing and if you're serious I would love to do the internship in South Africa I don't need a visa to be there I could you know stay with family or friends, and I would just need to get paid for like the work that I'm doing. And that's how that job came about. So definitely, yeah, yeah. Honestly, just stepping forward and attending talks. And my dad always says something like, the best way to get a job is to have a job. So you might have a job that you want. Like I envision in five years time, I want to be doing this. Get your foot in the door. Mm. You are in a much better place once you have that than somebody who's just sending a CV from the outside for position in a company that they're not maybe yet qualified for, or they don't know anybody there. But if you've been working there for a year and a half, you know, in a lower ranking yeah. position, and yeah. something comes up, they're going to know that this is something you want to pursue. And they already know what you're capable of doing because you've been working there already. So yeah, I think that's what I would say. Put yourself out there. No, that's very important. Yeah. It's so interesting. yeah, yeah. <laughs> now that I'm like recording these podcast episodes and talking to people, I've heard like, I feel like with like words to the wise, like you always need to hear them, <laughs> at least for me. Maybe. Yeah. But, like even if you've heard this before or a different version of it, every time I hear it, I'm like, yes, this is what I need to hear. Right yes. Now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, I think it helps to hear it from many people, right? Because then you're it like, does. okay, maybe that worked for you. Yeah, but you're like no. If every, if everybody's saying the same thing, then maybe there's something to I it. To speak up, I'll speak up more in calls. I'll make that. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's particularly it's particularly difficult for women, but also from people generally from the global south, because that I think a lot of our cultural societal upbringing mm-hmm. does not how doesn't encourage mean. that sort mm-hmm. of yeah, and so you do have to learn that you you do have to learn how to put yourself out there how to talk yourself up, up a bit how to be more certain it can be uncomfortable but I think we need to encourage each other to do more of that and we, we and also I think tied to that also what you were saying earlier around like equity and like all of that is that we do you you have something to say and you have something to bring to the table I think that's part of the like should I speak up what am I adding to the conversation you absolutely always have something to add to the conversation and the more you speak up the more you Like you said, you get your feet dirty and you kind of like, even if you say something quote unquote wrong, you learn. And that's Mm -hmm. valuable. So definitely worth hearing. No, this has been, this has been so great. Thank you so much for those words and just generally for all the things you shared. As we wrap up, I guess I just wanted to ask if there's anything you wanted to plug or share or website. Um, even for the menstrual hygiene work that you're doing where can people like Mm -hmm. go check it out I'll also then share the links on the like on our twitter page once we share the episode yeah absolutely so thank you so much for having me it's been really really good to just talk through all of this especially like I said it's just so nice to speak to someone who's equally as passionate and um, working in the same field and has you know relatable experiences and I really hope that whoever is listening gains Maybe one or two things from the conversation that we've had. Um, in terms of plugging anything, I definitely wanted to plug the Bleed Read, which is an online platform. So we are on online at uh, thebleedread.com. We're also on Instagram at thebleedread and on Twitter at bleedread. And like I said at the beginning, I describe myself as a menstrual health enthusiast. So definitely plug in with those platforms if you want to talk about anything menstrual health related. Whether it's coming to what are the period products that are out there, contraception use and periods, different types of bleeding. It's just a space that amplifies the narratives of women, but also addresses some of the frequently asked questions that come up when I when I engage with menstrual health content in the field, but also with my friends and family online. And then the Zim Alice HTM uh, website, which should be coming out next week so I can't give you an address just yet but Mm -hmm. hopefully by the time the episode comes out I can send the link on that as well and that really is where we're going to be talking about the different types of work that we do in Zimbabwe the different types of research and also where we share opportunities for internships if you're younger and just want to see what research is about we have a youth research academy um, that we you know we really try to empower young people who are interested in research but not might not have the resources to maybe go to university to engage in that kind of work. Um, and also where we share our publications around menstrual health, HIV and STIs um, and other interventions that we're working on. That's amazing. I can't wait to have for the um, Zim LSHTM website. Uh, I'll definitely be digging into that. I already follow the <laughs> feed on Instagram. I didn't know you had a Twitter and that you have an actual yeah. page. So I'll definitely... Um, yes subscribe and hit follow and it'll be great to just kind of like i'll pluck all of this on the utano public health chats platform so that people can also have access to this but yeah this has been amazing like you said it's always fun to have a conversation with people in the field to learn and to like collaborate and engage in this manner so thank you so much for your time and it's a wrap for this session this is utano public health chats with your host fiona And today we were interviewing Mandy Tembo and learning about her career in public health and her work as a menstrual health enthusiast.